So good morning, Eastside family. We'll let our children, ages three through third grade, make their way in that direction to junior worship. And if you're new here and you have children in that age range, um, just follow the parents who are taking their kids in that direction. The rest of you, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn this morning to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of a, a very important aspect of our worship assembly. And that is the offering that we bring before God each Sunday. We make it possible for you to give that offering in four different ways. You can mail a check to our, our church address. You can go online to our website and there's a little box that says give. Follow these instructions there. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. Or if you're uh, here in person, you can uh, just drop off your contribution right there in the center box. We certainly appreciate the faithfulness of, of our church members. And of you who are not here in person, absolutely honored and humble and just means the world to us that you are here this morning. You're just as much a part of this worship assembly as those that are here and we're delighted to have you. I'm going to be reading this morning, beginning in verse 2 of John chapter 8 from the English Standard Version. John 8, 2 through 11. <clears throat> Early in the morning... He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said, this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. So I, I chose this passage that we're going to look at for two Sundays at least for two different reasons. First of all, I chose this passage to set the stage and set the tone for an upcoming Wednesday night class that I'm going to be teaching at the end of November. And at the, in this class in November that begins November 30th on Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking at passages in the Bible that refer to the topic of homosexuality. And goes without saying, that's a very volatile topic. It's a very divisive topic. Not only in our nation, but also in our churches. And while it would be considered easier or less risky, just not talk about it at all, I believe that we would be mistaken not to seek and to discover God's will and God's word on this topic. In far too many conversations that I have with people, they go something like this. Well, that's wrong. That is sin. Well, 
How do you know? Well, because it says it right there in the Bible. Okay. Where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I don't know, but it's there. And then there's another, on the flip side, I hear people justifying lifestyles and choices and behaviors with Scripture, but when you really get into a conversation with them, it becomes quickly obvious that they're really clueless what Scripture has to say, and for the most part, you really wonder, do they even care? We're becoming more and more, it seems to me, guided by what feels and seems right to us. What's right and wrong? Well, what feels right and wrong? We're becoming more and more guidable. Whatever are our traditions, so that's right and wrong. Whatever is in our culture, that's what is right and wrong. Instead of being guided by God's word. And that is just absolutely unacceptable for followers of Jesus Christ. You know, if we're going to take a stand on a matter... We need to make sure we're standing on solid biblical ground. On the solid foundation of God's word. And so in this class that's going to begin November 30th, we're going to be looking at well, what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say about homosexuality. And maybe you're going, well, if it's November 30th, we're not even in November. Why are you talking about that right now? Because I have a second reason for going ahead and doing this passage today. As I'm hoping or I'm guessing that you're aware of, our election season is, we're in it. And maybe you got your ballots in the mail. And so I was going to take this passage, John chapter 8, and this was going to be the first class I was going to teach for the upcoming Wednesday night class. Just say, here's the tone of this class, Okay. But then as I was looking and I thought, oh man, this passage really does a masterful job of setting the stage and setting the tone in guiding us as followers of Jesus Christ in all of these issues that are coming up with the upcoming elections. And, and there are so many of the issues. It's, it's just amazing. Jesus' life, his example, and his teaching, it's just masterful guide for every aspect of our lives that's why we follow Jesus Christ as his disciples now I am not going to have enough time to cover every detail in this passage and so I'm going to let you really in your life groups kind of work through some of the stuff that, that Eddie left out maybe maybe intentionally maybe not I just can't do everything in, in a short amount of time what I want to do this morning is I want to bring your attention to three guiding principles in this passage from Jesus life and from his teaching as we approach the topic of homosexuality or as we approach any topic and also Things that we can consider with the issues at play in our upcoming elections. How, how, what are we supposed to do as followers of Jesus with all this? Let's just not talk about it. No, can't do that. How do we consider the issues at play in our upcoming elections? How are we supposed to view and respond to these challenging issues in our world? And my thought is, if we could only see our world... If we could only see others through the eyes of Jesus. I think there we'd find our answer. 
And what's beautiful about this passage, it like it puts us in Jesus' head. And I couldn't find a slide to make for this, but I wanted you to see a picture of being in somebody's head and seeing through their eyes. There's some powerful truths in this passage. I'm going to give you three of them. Give us a glimpse of looking through the eyes of Jesus. We only have time for one this morning. So we'll do the second two or maybe at least another one next week. We'll see uh, what my preparation leads me in. Jesus teaches us, first of all, to see individuals and not issues. That's it. That's all I'm going to talk about. Jesus teaches us to see individuals and not, not simply issues. These opponents here of Jesus, they're called rabbis or teachers of the law or scribes and Pharisees, attempting to, to trap or to catch Jesus in making a mistake. And that is, like, is that not our political world today they didn't see this woman as an individual they didn't care about her and they didn't even care like even though they were pretending like it they didn't care about what the law said they didn't care about what was true this woman was to them nothing more than a pawn in their game a pawn to promote their agenda and their issues which were primarily just to bring Jesus down and they were so willing to prove their point they would be okay if it meant killing this woman she was of no value to them but Jesus he had another way of he he had, he had a way of seeing beyond their game he had a way of seeing beyond the issues you just gotta love him he saw her she had to have been frightened. I mean, they're getting ready to stone me to death. So what was her name? Are we, just, are we just supposed to call her the adulterous woman? Is that how she'll be known? She had a name. Was it Deborah? Was it Rebecca? Was it Joanna? Was it Mary? Jesus knew her name. She was somebody's little girl. And what was her life story? You just think, well, was, was she just an evil person? And did she just get up one day and said, you know what, I hate God and I'm going to rebel. I'll tell you what, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be adulterous. That's what I'll do. Or were there painful life circumstances? Has she been hurt? Had she been abused? And thus had she become vulnerable and desperate and destitute? I wonder what she looked like in this moment. Because you know, though in this moment, I'm kind of guessing she looked dirty and disheveled. Because if I understand the language correctly, it's not they found out about what she'd been doing. They walked in on her. And I'm not thinking they said, all right, look, we got to take you to the church building. Go get yourself cleaned up. They grabbed her and took her. That's, that's the way that the story seems to show it. But Jesus saw beyond a dirty and disheveled woman. He saw a woman created in the image of God. Dearly loved by God. He saw a soul that was going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And he had a moment. He had a moment to make a difference. 
Now, I, I, I kind of wonder as I was reading through this story, just ask a bunch of questions to, to help you kind of work through the text. I wonder, did they just happen upon her or was she set up? And I said, what was her name? I even wondered, I wonder if they knew her name. I wonder if any of them had ever slept with her. So they knew her. And so they arranged it for some guy to be with her in this moment. Because how did it happen? They just walked in. Oh, look, there they are. How did that happen? To be just like that in that timing. Was it pre-planned? I I understand that's only speculation. But honestly, I wouldn't put it past these guys. I'm not rationalizing. I'm not justifying. I'm not making excuses for what she did that was wrong. But it's different when you see her as an individual, isn't it? Knowing her story, seeing her as an individual is what helped Jesus to see beyond the issue and to see her with the eyes of compassion as an individual and thus be positioned to make an impact in her life. As we're going to consider in this class on Wednesday nights the topic of homosexuality or as we may sometime have a discussion or we have discussions on the topics that are really, really going on right now about gender dysphoria and all the transgender issues, it is vital that we understand that we're not simply talking about issues. <laughs> we're talking about people, individuals. So there's this guy, Preston Sprinkle. He, he has a book called Two Views on Homosexuality of the Bible in the Church. Short read, good book. And, and he, he, he does, in his introduction, what I'm doing now for this class. He's setting the tone. If you're wondering, what's that class going to be like when he teaches about homosexuality? Well, this is kind of giving you an intro tone to what it's going to be like today and next week. Here's what he writes. He says, few topics, and I usually don't read when I preach, but this is worth reading. Few topics have become as volatile, confusing, and debated in contemporary religious and political discourse as homosexuality. It's one of the most pressing ethical questions facing the church today. Unlike other topics that Christians debate, homosexuality affects the very core of human persons. It is, as I have stated elsewhere, not just an issue to be debated, but it touches the heart and the humanity of real people. Homosexuality is not just an issue because people are not mere issues. Homosexuality also involves listening, listening to and entering into the lives of real gay, lesbian, and bisexual people. And that's the gospel. Jesus entered into my messy world and yours. That's, that's what he's saying here. Continue. When I began my own study of the topic, I cracked open dozens of books and hundreds of articles, and I began inching my way through what seemed to be like an insurmountable pile of research. I learned a lot about Hebrew and Greek words, a biblical view of sexuality, complications about a biblical view of sexuality, church history, sexuality in ancient Mesopotamia, and that body of ancient pornography, otherwise known as Roman poetry. But it wasn't until I got to know and love gay and lesbian people that I started to understand the topic of homosexuality. I think it's a bit easier to talk about this as long as we leave it on the level of issues. But then when it's your child or your brother or your sister or someone whom you 
dearly love, it's, it's not so easy. I can, I can take some strong stands today and make some bold comments to you about gender dysphoria. But I have a relative who claims to be transgender. And I know this person well enough to know they didn't just get up one day and go, I'm done with God, I hate Christianity, I want to rebel, I'm going to change my gender. Uh-uh, that's not his story. He was born, I, I meant to keep it without a, outside of the gender. This person <laughs> was born with an abnormality, physical abnormality, like I got five fingers, I was born with four, something like that. And as a result of that, as a result of that, this person has lived with incredible confusion over who they are and their identity, knowing I'm supposed to be like this, and I'm trying my best to be like this, but there's something inside of me raging to be everything the opposite. This is so much a battle in this person's life that it led them to be suicidal, thinking it's just better to die than to have to live with this. It's not just an issue, you see. This is a real person, an individual. I know. I know this person's name. I have a very good friend who's homosexual. He's attracted to men. That's what that means. I, honestly, I'm not. I don't get that. We've talked. And I've explained to them the world I'm coming from. Biblically, I don't see that according to God's will. And he's helped me to see his side of his story. He's been so gracious with me. He hasn't walked away from me. You hate her? No, he loves me. I love him. We've had incredible conversations. And he's told me, he said, I didn't choose to feel this way. Now, is he lying to me? I don't think he is. I'm certain he's not. He has tried hard not to have this attraction. He's told me that he, he went through this therapy procedure to try to change, and it was like incredibly painful and difficult. And so he, he's carried a heavy burden. God's life of being mocked and being rejected and being hurt. And again, I know him well enough to know he didn't get up and say, you know what, I hate God and I hate Christianity and I'm going to do something crazy. I think I'll change my sexual orientation. I'll tell you, he sincerely loves God and wants with all his heart to follow Jesus and God's word. Talking about not an issue simply, these are individuals when I say the word pedophilia, which is similar to uh, pederasty, which, which something we're going to talk about in this class is it was, it was, it was as prevalent in the first centuries. We look at some of these passages. When I say the word pedophilia, if you're like me, you're just kind of, oh, you're repulsed. You're sickened. Which is interesting how we can be so repulsed by the sin by some sins of others, but not by our own. So I, I have a very good friend in Louisiana who spent many years in prison because of pedophilia. 
And our ministry in Baton Rouge, uh, prison ministry, he was converted to prison ministry after many years in prison. He got out, and he was a very active member of our church. He and I became dear friends. We've been just the best of friends for the past 30 years at Christmas and our birthdays. And you know, I live here. We talk to one another on the phone. When I talk about pedophilia, I'm not talking about an issue. I'm talking about an individual who was abused as a little boy. Not minimizing what he did. Maximizing God's grace and God's love. As, as Jesus had this amazing ability to see beyond the issues. To see individuals. And in his case, someone whose life God has transformed. Redeemed. He's been married now for over 25 years. And has two beautiful children. And he's never returned to his past. So, it, it, it maybe you pay attention to the news. As with every election season, they always say, they're saying it now, this is the most important election season of our century, ever. And usually the ones that are saying it are the ones that are running for this place, you know. But one of the reasons why this is the most important election season, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I took a picture of it today. Oh, okay, everything turned to see if I can, if I can pull it up. Um, in, in our paper today, on the very front paper, it talks about female voter registration spikes. Why? Court's decision overturning Roe versus Wade provides a, provides a motivating factor in election. This is the most important, um, people are saying, election in our generation, in our time, because of this huge issue of abortion. It's kind of like, I might as well talk about that. I've already talked about so many other things, right? <laughs> It's, it's easier to talk about abortion as long as we keep it on the level of an issue, isn't it? And just let's not consider the individuals involved on both sides of the aisle. But it's not just issues. It's individuals. Now, I, I, you've heard me speak about this before, so there's no secret. I believe that abortion is a violation of God's will. And I know there are some of you who would like for me to speak out even more strongly on it. But how I or any of us, however we speak about it, we must be sensitive to the fact that we're not just talking about an issue. We're talking about individuals who, for example, are women. Confused, desperate, and destitute. Who've had abortions. You're, some of you are sitting in here who've had respected leaders in our government or medical leaders tell you this is your best option. This isn't a human life. But here's what's up. The, the tone, that I, the tone that, that I often hear against abortion, it just seems counterproductive to speaking healing into the hurts of people who've experienced this. It seems almost as though, can I just kick you a little further down with guilt? Shame. You see, these are real people. Like my sister. She shared her testimony about her abortion. And sure, it, it's easier, and this is happening right now, it's easier to talk about this as long as we don't use certain words. Let's now call it reproductive rights. Let's call it freedom of choice. When we do that, then we're talking about an issue, right? It's not a choice. It's a child. Medical science has made that crystal clear. 
God in his word has been making that crystal clear for centuries. The child created and planned in the image of God. We're not talking about issues. These are real people. Now, there's a whole lot more we could talk about that's related to our upcoming elections, and I don't have time. We could talk about, good grief, immigration, foreign policy, poverty, homelessness, the economy, education. That's a big one right now, right? Racial issues, crime, and so much more. But with all of these, it's important that we remember behind the policies are people. Real people. Behind the issues are individuals who have so much at stake. For this woman, she had a lot at stake. Her life. I know that today, I, I um, attention. <laughs> um, I know that I've, I've taken the risk of being misunderstood. I know that I've taken the risk, risk of making some angry at me. And I know that I've taken the risk of some of you reaching the wrong conclusions about what I've said, or at the least, I know I've made some of you feel quite uncomfortable. And, and maybe you're, you're wondering, is he saying all that's okay? Is he okay with pedophilia, abortion, homosexuality? No. I guess they could have been asking that about Jesus. But Jesus' treatment of this woman was not him saying, okay, adultery is okay. That's not what I am saying. I am asking you, no, let, let, it's not me. You're not followers of Eddie. Jesus' teaching and his life example here is calling us, asking us, will you see our world and others through the eyes of Jesus. Will you love them? Will you know them? Will you see beyond the issues and see the individuals? Will you see them? Will you know them and love them as Jesus sees them and knows them and loves them as Jesus sees you and knows you and loves you? Because when we do that, it will not only serve as a helpful guide with our ballots, but it will better position us to have greater impact on the people of our broken world as Jesus did on this day with this dear woman. Let's stand and pray. Father, take this story and your teachings and your example through Jesus embed them on our hearts that they may be a guide for our lives in every aspect of our lives. And Father, as we stand now and we come before you in prayer, we open this up for our church members to, to reach out to you in prayer. Our, our shepherds are going to be available to pray with any of you that are carrying a heavy burden on your hearts. So I want to encourage you to go to them or if you know someone that needs prayer, 
just walk out from where you are and go to them, give them a hug and pray with them. Or if you're that person, reach out to someone. Let's offer this song up to God in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.